Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. to playoff in the know we are officially tied 1-1 going into game three friday uh in new orleans in the smoothie king center where the pelicans have announced a sellout crowd they're gonna have a red out so the blender is gonna be absolutely wild mason my man how are you can you believe you're recording a playoff podcast after everything that happened this year um not I'm surprised. I'm more surprised that we're recording one where the series is tied 1-1 coming back to New Orleans. <laughs> okay, first of all, I'm going to need you to raise your energy level a bit because uh, the Pelicans are in the fucking playoffs and it's tied <laughs> against the best team in the league. So come on, Mason, where, where you at with this? Um, I, I'm pumped. Uh, I guess I, I just I just looked at flight prices over the past couple of days to come home for some of the games. That that's what's got me a little sad because I'm I'm really missing it. I want to I want to be I want to be there. It was uh, a lot of fun, uh, you know, to be to be in the stands for playoff basketball before, and I'm just I'm just missing it. But uh, it's I'm 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 amped up. I'm it's fun to be like able to wear your pelican shit and like be like yeah we're we're kicking ass again, you know. And <laughs> so um, that that that's exciting for sure. Well, I was looking at uh, ticket prices for Phoenix, to be honest. I was like, for games one and two, I was like, do I want to just go to Phoenix this weekend and, uh, you know, just say YOLO? But uh, that didn't materialize. I actually, funny story, I have to, um, so I coach, right? I coach the Tulane Frisbee team. We have the conference championships coming up this weekend in Auburn, Alabama. And so what I'm doing is watching game three, um, waking up super early, driving the five hours to Auburn, Alabama, coaching Saturday morning, um, like super early, like 4 a.m., 4.30, something like that, trying to get there for, for the games. And then um, coaching Sunday and then booking my butt back to the Smoothie King Center for game four. So it's going to be kind of nuts. I, I love that. Um, good good for you for, for making that commitment. But I mean, I – it's like you said, it's playoff basketball in the world. So how can you not at least try? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no way I'm going to miss this. I mean, sorry, kiddos. I, I love y'all, but, and that's why I'm making the effort to, to be out there in Auburn with yeah. you, but I, I need to go watch these playoff games. Anywho. So, fun, um, fun, fun fact real quick is, is I, so I just got back. I, I took the afternoon off, went to the Yankees Tigers game that where we're staying in Detroit right now is 10 minute walk from the stadium. I was sitting no joke. I was sitting like three seats down from somebody wearing a Saints shirt. And um, I was like, all right, well, this is a small world. We're both, we're in Detroit. I've got to, I've got to say something. And so ends up guys from Mandeville and we were talking, we ended up talking hoops and a little bit and just like, he, and, and point, point being is like, he was talking about how Booker's out for games three and four and we have a chance. It's just like, I feel like if I had seen someone in the Saints shirt, like a half dozen years ago. And so he lives in, he lives in Louisiana. Uh, he lives in Mandeville and he was just there for the, for the game or for, in Detroit for some reason. 
Um, but I feel like if I had the conversation with somebody like a half dozen years ago and it was like the AD era, there was no knowledge of what's going on with the NBA. Like, oh, cool, Pelicans are playoffs and that's it. And so and I, I, we talked a little bit more about the series and, and like how the Pelicans may have a, a chance here. And I just think it's that I think it's cool how it's, you know, Pelicans are permeating the, the, the culture of New Orleans in a way that I think has not happened maybe since the Chris Paul era, if anything. Yeah, I, it's it's honestly incredible. I mean, I was at a strawberry fest the other weekend, and just I know I know it's regional, um, and it's not really that far from New Orleans. It's only about like thirty five to forty minutes from from New Orleans, and mm-hmm. just the amount of Pelicans gear that I saw there was was staggering. And just haven't seen the community kind of like own the team like like they have this year. It's it's really nice to see. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, back back to the playoff stuff. Which oh my gosh, it is. It is 1-1. I think that is beyond anyone's expectations so far. Um, obviously, the team has, has internal expectations of their own where they they have the mindset that they can win every game, and that's kind of how you got to be if you're a professional. But us on the outside, uh, this is pretty incredible, especially after the way game one kind of went. It seemed like they were they came out the gate a little bit tired because I kept on the, – the thing I kept on saying game one was – Look, I know the Pels only have like 26 points, but it's halfway. It's almost it's, it's almost halftime, and the Suns have 39, and they've been stuck at like under 40 for for a while. And and I thought the Pels were playing really good defense, and the adjustments they made in the second half clearly worked to kind of chip at the chip chip at the lead and and reduce the gap. And Trey Murphy just being an integral part of their offense and making making everyone's job easier by also hitting shots, but, you know, just kind of being out there and, and counting or someone has to account for him at all times. So they, they did a good job there and then Chris Paul went nuclear and, and that was, that was the end of game one. Uh, Did you, so before you talk about game two, did you, did you, what was your feelings out of game one and, and what were your thoughts going into game two? Yeah, I mean, positive. It wasn't like, oh, we suddenly have a chance to win the series, but it was positive in the sense that they, it was clearly a team that had been exhausted. You know, the, the Phoenix Suns had had a week off, or not quite a week, but but close to it. And whereas the Pelicans played two super high intensity games in, in two different series in New Orleans, then in Los Angeles, then had to go to Phoenix and play two days later. And so that 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 takes a toll. And so uh, to see them come out flat in the first half was not a surprise. To see them fight the way they did on, uh, in the second half, also not a surprise given what we've seen from them with Willie Green this year. But I, I will say the fact they were able to cut it to, what, six points? or I mean, they made the game, and that was what really uh, inspired me. Uh, you know, I, I think you can say the Pelicans fought, you know, they cut it to 12 to 10, but never really made the game. That's not what happened here. The Pelicans really made the game. They made, made the sun sweat. And Chris Paul, like you said, had to go nuts to, to, to really make sure the game stayed out of reach for New Orleans. And so that's why I was excited going into game two. Uh, is, is that you know, even if the Pelicans were to lose the series in four or five games, I felt good that they would be able to make each individual game uh, competitive. And that's that's something that I feel like, you know, past past teams, you couldn't have said that about. So um, obviously it's been a little bit more than that after game two. But they didn't get blown out. Um... Or, or just viscerally embarrassed. There wasn't a repeat of that game we do not talk about against the Nuggets. Uh, all in all, that was a, a positive experience for me. I agree. I agree with you, Mason. And I think that the what I walked away from that game was wondering, oh my gosh, what is Jackson Hayes' future on this team? And 
and what kind of adjustments are they going to make? Cause it seemed pretty apparent to me based off of not only that game, but the games for the last month or so uh, that putting Trey in those spots instead of Jackson just opened things up for everybody. And they weren't really sacrificing thing, anything on the defensive end. And so if, if Jackson being in the corner, um, not really receiving the ball, all he did was just kind of, eat space for the stars i didn't know what kind of role he was going to have um moving forward and you just kind of i know we talked about on twitter just what we need to see out of him moving forward um and and what kind of skills he needs to lean on to just become an effective player uh, league-wide so um that was that was definitely my thoughts i'm right, curious where you where you were at with jackson yeah same thing i so i i did a uh bright side of the sun um podcast this this morning and i basically said straight up like i I, Willie Green and Jackson Hayes maybe eat a giant slice of humble pie with what happened in game two because it was it was really I, I think how they changed how the, the way that Willie Green coached staff changed how they used Jackson Hayes uh, in game two was single-handedly one of the more most impressive uh, coaching displays I've seen from this this team this year and in recent years I mean they they, they on both ends of the floor the way he was they were able to uh, he was able to hold his own against Chris Paul and really become a disruptor defensively and the way that they, they really put him out in transition and, and really got the transition offense going, because that's so, that's going to be so critical for the rest of the series of how good Phoenix's half court defense is the way they were able to, to change how he was, uh, how effective he could be on both ends of the floor without have, you know, needing to put him in the corner to, to shoot. Um, just I couldn't, couldn't be more impressed. Uh, I, I'm curious to see if it was just a you know, flash in the pan or how much they can uh, really capitalize on that moving forward, because you know that the Suns are going to come back with adjustments for game three, but regardless, Jackson Hayes has a role in the series. And I, I was dead wrong for, for suggesting that maybe he, he, he should be phased out for, for other players. Well, look, I don't want to say that you were dead wrong because the way he was utilized and the way he did, been utilizing they hadn't they had not been forced to make those kind of adjustments before and so they thought that okay we've been kind of winning with this and playing our good players when they matter or I don't want to say good players playing the rotations that win more when they matter uh, we can get away with this and I think you know the Suns are just too smart of a team and they had a really good game plan coming out of game one and the adjustments that Willie Green and Jackson made uh, were huge from a spacing standpoint. There was a lot more off-ball movement. There was a lot of uh, Jackson defending out in space in the perimeter and then you turning that into early offense. And not just Jackson, just the, the team's focus on early offense made it so they didn't constantly have to play against a set defense, which also set uh, helped their spacing. And then I, you know, if you look at the, the data for that game, the offense when Jackson was on the floor still struggled. It was, you know, the Pelicans – if you look at the offensive ratings for each player on the floor, like no player was below like 119 except for Jackson, uh, which was at 107. That means the minutes that the Pelicans um, played when Jackson was on the floor, they still did not generate the cleanest of offensive looks, but they mm -hmm. held their own defensively and they still won those minutes, which is all that matters because the Pelicans other lineups really uh, made a difference this, uh, this last game. And then Jackson came out the gate on the second half and really turned things around with his play on both ends. And so I think I'm, I'm happy with the adjustment because what it means is, Hey, we can buy, we can stick to our rotations that are um, that we're comfortable with and stick to the chemistry that the starters have had, because at least you're not getting blown out in those minutes that Jackson's playing. If you can tread water in those minutes or, 
um, or you can win those minutes like they did uh, they, they did last game, that's huge. That's huge to me. And it kind of also highlights, in, in my opinion, like how they need to be using Jackson moving forward. Uh, absolutely. I, I, like I said, I'm very, I'm curious how many minutes he gets moving forward. What's the, um, what's, what's the, what do the rotations look like as far as when Willie Green subs in certain players? I mean, that'll be, I think that we may see some adjustments, um, you know, coming with, with Booker out. I, I think I, I expect Willie to largely stay the course in the first half of game three um, and then kind of make counter moves depending on how Monty and, and the Suns uh, decide, decide to play this out. But um yeah, I, you know, it's definitely a reason reason for optimism. So with, with Booker out, you think you would think Cam Johnson takes the the starting spot, right? So I, I did, but uh, on the, on the Suns podcast this morning, they were, uh, the, the folks I was talking with were in agreement that Shamit would come into the starting lineup. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, they're both yeah. really really good shooters. Uh, I just worry about cam more than Shamit because i think he's a better defender and i think he is the type of person that can really hurt the pelicans uh both you know by, by making threes but also just getting hands in lanes and you can put him on jackson you can put him on uh herb and he can cheat off of those guys just to clog those things up but if, if it's Shamit, i think i think that's monty letting willie green off the hook because that well, allows I- the pelicans to just be flat out bigger than the suns yeah, I mean, and I think so. The, the closing with Cam Johnson was still the the consensus for sure. sure. I, I think I, I think uh, there was a thought that Shemit would start, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think it's I, I think it's interesting. I think how they play out the rest of the rotations are interesting, specifically um, what you know how how they they're going to have to ride campaign now a little bit more, and, and Payne has been terrible in the series so far, and so I am that that's another wrinkle in and of itself is, is what are they. You know, it, it, you know, if if campaign starts to get hot, does how does Willie Green adjust with Devontae Graham Jose Alvarado rotation too? Because right now he's been playing he's been playing Devontae, and then second quarter that's when Jose comes in. But I, but I I worry about that because I feel like at some point Payne's going to catch fire a little bit, and Graham's not the right <laughs> Graham's a bad matchup. But um, yeah, but if he catches that. fire, you know, I don't think that's a Graham thing necessarily, right? I think the it's, yeah. it's how he's killing you if he's getting to the cup like uncontested okay yeah that that's probably a grand thing if he's just hitting ridiculous threes i'm not sure it's it's a grand thing you know that's just sometimes guys just hit you know like booker was hitting absurd shots over herb all all the first two games basically um and so i i do think just not having booker out there makes like Devonte and jose just a lot more playable and they put pl- they close out the game with jose um the other night and that was that was really cool to see because they closed out the other game with trey and um, and, and obviously Herb's are part of every closing lineup. And it's yeah. just, it's nice that these three rookies are in everyone's kind of set it at ad nauseum, but they're playing meaningful minutes in the playoff series that is now tied. Did you see the rookie, the, the, I forgot who it was though. Uh, someone uh, posted a stat of how many minutes rookies have played by team <laughs> and the Pelicans are basically like 10 or 15 X every other team or something like that. It's, yeah. It's it was pretty, like 150 and like the next team was like 30. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, and of course, look, it's an, it's an eight seed and, and some of the vet, more veteran teams aren't going to have, I mean, they're not going to be drafting high. They're not going to have picks who can play uh, those type of minutes, but also it's a, it's a function. It's out of necessity partially, but also the Pelicans, have a, I mean, they've got, you know, a second round pick like Herb Jones. So not like all these other teams couldn't have drafted impactful guys. It's just another, you know, shout out to the front office for, for adding guys like this. 
Oh yeah. I mean like the, yeah, I, I think that, and then there's another top 10 pick potentially on their ways kind of, kind of interesting to see. And, you know, it's just call, it's a callback for me to the, the Celtics rebuild and how they were making the playoffs and, and doing well in the playoffs and continuing to add lottery talent because they were getting those Nets picks. So um, that's definitely fascinating. I I'm so curious. Yeah. Like I think the biggest advantage for the Pelicans this series has been on the glass and, and part of that's going big, but part of that's just Jonas and everyone. I mean, the Pelicans have been an elite rebounding team the whole, the whole year and they were last year as well. And one of the things I tweeted out um, before the series started was that the Pelicans, um, the Pelicans have uh, an advantage in, in the rebounding and it might end up making a difference uh, in, in one or two games a series. And so far, uh, obviously they didn't, they didn't win game one, but the Pelicans uh, significantly have out-rebounded them on both ends of the glass, both games. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think as important as the rebounds is who's getting them. And so this is, a, I think one of the most telling stats and, and how the Pelicans are really, I think, able to, to, besides the insane shot making in the second half from, from BI, how they're able to really sustain is how is they were able to get out in transition and get buckets. And so how they did that was of the Pelicans had 32 defensive rebounds in game two, 30 of them were from Jonas, Larry Nance, CJ and BI. And I think that matters because you've got CJ and BI getting boards and immediately being able to push up, push the ball up the floor. Uh, and so the fact that they're, and, and so it's not an accident that these guys, I mean, CJ McCollum is not a, elite rebounder by any stretch, but the Pelicans are putting their, they're, they're constructing a strategy where they're getting those boards and getting, getting out and, and, pu- and pushing the tempo. And you've got guys like Jackson Hayes, like you can look and say, okay, no rebounds, but there's, there's a reason for that. Cause he's leaking out and trying to get easy, easy transition. And yeah. He, so, he's switching on to every perimeter player at the top of yep. the key. And then, Oh my gosh, did he have some good defensive possessions out there? And there was this one possession yep. uh, that he had against Devin Booker and Booker tries to drive on him three times in and in one possession. He'd be like, he draw, he like takes the screen. Hayes navigates the screen from Aiton, seals that drive off. Booker tries to like lean in him and create space with his body. Doesn't create space. Passes out to CP3. Uh, gets it back at the top of the key. Tries to drive on him again. Um, fails. Passes it back out, and then Jackson starts clapping. Gets it back. Fails. Passes it to CP3, who ends up grifting a foul, a three-point foul on Jose which should have been a, like a, a no call to CP3 or it should have been an offensive foul because he could have kicked his feet out. Um, but just that possession where Jackson stopped him three times and just like took the contact to the body, sealed off every driving lane. Um, it's freaky having a guy that size who can move that well in space. And it just, you know, I think he's a super big wing you got to, you know, they can do interesting things next year where they just deploy him at the point of the attack. And it's like, okay, like maybe he doesn't navigate the screen well, then you're switching it. Um, And part of what's making these switching lineups for the Pelicans really viable is the rebounding from the smalls and everywhere else that you just talked about. And so, yeah, when, when CJ's grabbing those those eight boards and Larry's just been a monster there and BI, you know, BI had 10, right? 11, something like that. Um, Yeah. Nine offensive, 11 total. Yeah, like a lot of reasons teams can't go small is because they can't sustain the rebound. And and this is important because the Pelicans have yet another dude that hasn't played a single minute who can benefit off of small lineups, 
but those lineups only become viable if they can rebound and defend. And so this is kind of a great proof of concept where like, okay, can, can all of these other dudes collectively mask one guy's like weaknesses? And, and with Jackson, they're, they're doing that. Um, and, yeah. and I hope with Zion, they'll be able to do that too. Yeah. Um, random question for you. And so contracts aside and contract implications aside um, for who, who would be, who would developing a consistent three-point shot be more valuable for next year, Herb Jones or Jackson Hayes? I mean, just from a minutes perspective, it's Herb Jones because he's going to start and close most games. And so um, that's going to be really valuable for him, just being able to hit at volume and, and just him being a passable shooter this year won them games um, at times. I, he went on. It's helped the series. Run. He's like three or five from three this series. Yeah, he like hit that. he hit uh, a couple early threes in the first half as this past game and they were corner threes and that's that's huge um but from like a from from an individual level i think you know herb jones is going to be in the league for a long time regardless of where his shot progresses to right jackson on the other hand if he if he got a consistent three-point shot would become a wanted commodity on all 30 teams which i don't think that he is right now um i think there's a lot he carries a lot of intrigue and like 30 teams would probably like give him a roster spot but it's like, there's one thing of like giving a roster spot, like you do with a Gary Clark to another to where like, Oh, I might want to invest, um, you know, $80 million in this guy or a hundred million dollars in this guy. That's the kind of arc that, that Jackson could take if he, if he gets his three point shot down, because I, again, I think he can become a really big wing. Now on to sleeper sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product. Unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on sleeper too, by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under, for example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball, then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code blue wire and sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download sleeper, then use promo code blue wire. When you deposit terms and conditions apply, see sleepers terms of use for details. All right. Um, should speaking, we speaking of Zion <laughs> speaking? Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Speaking of Zion, have we, uh, I find it a little bit ridiculous. We haven't heard anything about him. I mean, I, the, the, all we've heard is like, no, he's not going to be playing right now. Uh, through the injury reports, you know, we haven't, we don't have really any comments on, on his health status, but um, it's been quite some time since he posted that dunk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, uh, maybe they're going to give a surprise doubtful for Zion um, t- tomorrow, but I, I don't know. It's a, it's a fair point. Yeah, I, you know, it's this, it's hilarious to me that no matter how much progress that this team has, has made. Okay, so March 22nd was when he was cleared to resume one on one. It is April 21st right now. So it's been an exact month um, since he was cleared for one on one. 
yeah, man, it's been a month since he's been cleared for one-on-one and, and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't know how, long, how much longer he needs, but yeah, it's kind of funny to me that no matter how much success the team has had, how we started this season is still um, how we're kind of like, we're still dealing with the same stuff at the end of this season where like no one knows what the hell is going on with Zion. You're never going to receive a clear update and, and you just kind of like, okay, like whenever the team's going to tell us the, the truth, they'll do it, but not, we're not really going to expect anything in the meantime. Yeah. It almost feels like a, a game of chicken between the Pels and Zion's camp. I, I don't know if they feel like they, I, I'm just curious what the, the dynamics are at play there uh, as far as they say something, you know, they, they can't overcommit on either side or else, um, you know, something that the other side will say something. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's all, you're, you're right. That it's, a, it's weird that nothing's nothing more has come out, but it's, I, I can't say I'm shocked at this point. Yeah. I mean, very clearly Zion wants to play and very clearly his camp wants him to play. And I, they just don't have the same leverage that they have had in the past with this situation. I just, I just worry. I really do worry. And, and, it's only because of things that have happened in the past is like, you keep pushing this issue where you're just kind of like, put your foot down. Like, no, like we're not going to play you. Like at what point, like at what point do you just lose him? Where he's just like, fuck it, man, there's nothing I can do. I've worked so hard to get here, but there's nothing more I can do. Um, And at what point do you just lose him from a mental standpoint? And again, I only bring this up is because they, that's happened in the past. Yeah, I I, I want to believe. I guess it's hard to know what, what's going on in Zion's head because I, I I'm sure, like you said, he's frustrated about the you know wanting to be out there and not being out there. I I hope that he's you know that, that what's going on with the team right now is giving him a, a positive feeling. But at the same time, he could be if you know Zion's a competitor and he probably feels to a certain degree like man. This 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 sucks. I want to be out there with the team. It's the playoffs, and so I, I mean, as 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 happy as we all want to be for our our friends and our our, our teammates for success, um, when you're supposed to be a part of that success and you're not, that that's got to wear on you. And so um, you know, I, I feel like the, you know, I, I'm trying to look at certain mannerisms from Zion uh, during during these games, and like you can almost kind of see in the you know, in the locker room or on the on the, on the bench. You know how looking at how he's reacting, and I and I, I feel like uh, this may be reading too much, you know, but I feel like you can kind of tell that he's like he's in, he, he's he's happy for his teammates, but he's also like a little reserved because like I'm sure he wants to be out there. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm not, I'm never gonna like fault the team for taking the best medical approach, right? And if if the doctors and the scans and all that say he's not ready, then he's not ready. Um, and you know, I don't care how much he wants to play. It's just what I'm just so curious what constitutes the threshold for being ready. Is it, is it a bone scan? Is it something to do with the actual recovery? Is it a conditioning benchmark? Is it a weight benchmark? Is it anything above, you know, it's like, we need to make sure like after he does five, he's five scrims, like he's not moving a certain way. So like, what I'm sure it's all combination of all the above, but it's just, and, and they're never going to like release these benchmarks to us in the public, but you know, like it, I don't know, man, like they don't owe us that information. It just kind of sucks not knowing anything. Yeah, it does. And I, I, I wonder, I, I don't, I don't expect that any of it has to do with disrupting momentum or positive vibes for the team and everything that, I mean, cause I, I, I can, I guess I can at least appreciate the thought that, you know, what 
it, how would it look to take the attention away from the success the team is having right now and putting it on Zion? Like, but at the same time, the silence is not a, like it, it's not an okay response either. So it's a it's definitely a, a difficult situation. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, um, I think they should, but all parties should be working towards getting him back on the court. Period. And if that means that's a possibility this series then they need, there needs to be a full court press on all sides to make that happen. Um, because with now Booker being out for games two or games three and four, and potentially more like the, the initial sheet was two to three weeks. That's, that's the series. I mean, this yeah. week doesn't last, the series doesn't last three weeks. Uh, even, even game seven um, is not scheduled three weeks from now, you know? And so it'd be a week tops, right? Or, or a week, sorry, a week from Sunday tops. I don't know yeah. when it actually is, but yeah. And so, and so this is an opportunity a, to get to the second round, um, which this franchise has not done very often. And B, if things shake out right, like I I'm rooting for Utah to pull off this Dallas thing. I don't think the Pels match up really well with Dallas when, when Luca's going to come back, but if like, if they are able to knock out, um, if they're able to knock out Dallas here, and before Luca's back, or you know, or the the Pelicans have a really good opportunity to um, go against a Jazz team that is, for lack of a better term, they hate each other, and they are imploding. <laughs> <laughs> They're imploding, and so I mean, that would be a hell of a series, in my opinion. Um, I really don't think the the Jazz are um, all that much more talented than the Pelicans that's currently constructed, especially if you bring Zion back, and then you you are now seeing how good your small lineups are with Larry and all that stuff, man, like that's been the antithesis of what the jazz cannot defend against. And so I'm just so curious because I think the Pels match up so well and it doesn't behoove me to look ahead to the next round, but man, I can't (laughs) help it. And that's gotta be, you know, you gotta be prepared. You gotta be prepared for every outcome and you gotta be preparing Zion to return. I, I just think that's got to be the approach. I mean, what we really need is Pels in five so we can get Zion to practice under his belt while the team's waiting for the next one. Yeah. I mean, like, if you, if you, <laughs> seriously, like, uh, the, the advantage of, like, put activating him this series would be, like, you you're, you put him at 15 minutes. Um, dude, they did that with Drew Holiday back in the against the Warriors. And so you activate him for, like, 15 minutes, and then you slowly work him up. And by the time you're in the next round, he's up to 20, maybe 25. And, and, and then every minute he gives you is, is a minute where you have a superstar talent on the floor, which is not easy to come by uh, for any team. I mean, just, just ask any of these teams that are missing. I mean, like the, just ask the Suns who's going to miss Devin Booker, you know, just ask the, the Mavs who, who, who are missing Luka. You, missing a superstar talent isn't easy. Yeah. And, and, and look, there's, there's always a concern that when you bring a, a, a guy, like it, it's, sim- it's similar to when the Pelicans traded for Boogie, uh, you know, that, that did not go well over the first, you know, right after the trade and the Pelicans still missed the playoffs and it took till next season before they started figuring it out. But you can't convince me that bringing Zion off the bench 15 for 15 minutes in the, in this series wouldn't instantly make the Pelicans a better, more dangerous team. <laughs> like you just can't. So there's this, there's not even like that concern around, uh, you know, does, do you disrupt, you know, what's working, but I mean, not that there could be anyway, like he's just too good, but um, there, there are ways to, to use Zion Williams and that's going to unequivocally make this team better and more dangerous and, and a tougher out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Anyways, uh, enough dwelling on the Zion stuff. Let's wrap this up here. Any predictions for game three? 
Yeah, I got the belts. Um, what I, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I, I'm not going to go out on uh, the predict game four yet, but I do feel like the Pelicans are in a really good spot. I feel like the one thing I'm just, I, I think, uh, super confident about is Willie Green's ability to make sure this team stays focused and stays aggressive. That, that, that there's no, um, like, there shouldn't be a letdown anyway because you're playing the one seed, but I could see, like, you know, I, I could see BI and and and, uh, and some of their guys be like we're the more talented team. Like they can make that. Just looking at the players on each roster, you can make that that leap in your head as a player to say, look, without Booker, why can't we win this? But I, I feel very good about Willie Green checking these guys. Willie Green coached the Suns last year. He's going to be able to tell them very clearly. You guys got your work cut out for you still. You better go in thinking, uh, thinking like they're going to beat you three straight games, and you and you got to figure out how to how to not let that happen. And so I, I feel really good about the mentality. Um, it just comes down to execution. They're not going to hit sixty percent of their threes like last time. Brendan Ingram is great, but the, some of the shots that he made in the fourth quarter were just in, just stupidly good, and you cannot say that was sustainable. So it comes down to how how you execute. I mean, because their half court offense has not been good this series. Um, can you either a make sure you're still getting a high amount of transition opportunities or, and, or B get that, you know, get that offense half court offense up a little bit. So, um, lots to be excited about, but, uh, it's going to be a, going to be a tough series still. Yeah. I think, I think, um, early offense has to be the key for the Pelicans, just like it was in game two, that just opens everything up for them. And then I, you know what? I'm going to call this. It's going to be a Devontae Graham game. He's going to come in for those first two Let's minutes. Go. He's going to hit two threes. And Willie's going to be like, all right, we can keep playing. And he hit his first two threes. And uh, there's going to be campaign out there. And, um, yeah, they're just going to – I think just the ability to not put Booker on the floor allows Willie Green to get away with, <laughs> with some things that probably shouldn't be happening in a playoff series. But I'll say this. You know, I've been really impressed with Willie Green's ability to make adjustments outside of that one – Three flat, three to four minutes with Tony <laughs> Snell and Najee and whatever the hell was going on against the Clippers, where I just think that like the moment was like really big and it was just you know like I think he panicked. I think Willie Green panicked and Tony Snell hadn't been in the fucking rotation for a month at that point and he's like uh, uh, Trey or Tony Snell. <laughs> okay, Tony, it's you, baby, it's you. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> wait, me? He, he's probably the best. Like you didn't actually mean to call my name, huh? Yeah. Oh my god. Outside of that, outside of that, I will say. In, in the playoffs, I think the adjustments have been very good, especially from yeah. even like from a half to half perspective. Um, Willie Green's been a really good second half coach all year long. The third quarter Pels are a real thing. And yeah. they were even in game one. They were uh, they were there. They were making that run until Chris Paul hit the Chris Paul button. Chris Paul could not do the same thing the second game. And, and the Pels, they were up. They were up before Booker got hurt. And so, I'm, I'm you know, I don't think Willie's complacent enough to be done making adjustments just heading into game three like oh we won let's not make any changes no i think they're gonna they're gonna make uh changes um that help them out on both ends so i'm i'm excited i hope they keep switching especially now that booker is off like the the players who can like really beat switches and play one-on-one is down to chris paul and 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 if you're if you're harassing chris paul with length um all series long like it's, it's a tough ask for him i mean maybe he can do it maybe not we'll see but um yeah. i think that's gotta I, be the approach yeah, I think one, one, one more thing that really that caught my attention uh, or, or something I started thinking about after the, the Booker news came out was um, we, we talked about even in, in the um, didn't, going back to the Clippers playing game. Um, I, I, you said definitely put Herb Jones on Paul George. I was concerned about that because of the foul risk. 
that shit is out the window for, for me now with, with Booker out. That was, I mean, cause that's, that has to be the, the refs. And I feel like in the playoffs this year, all around have been a little bit whistle happy more than I expected. And so that is a concern for, was a concern for me still in the sun series with, with Herb Jones. If he was going to guard Booker getting, picking up two quick fouls and having to go to the bench, things like that. Now you get, you can get aggressive Herb Jones here and, and just really it, like, like I, I, I like, I agree with what you said around just getting aggressive with switching. And, but I, I really feel like you can have, you can have a little bit less concern around uh, picking up stupid fouls. Chris Paul is going to always try to bait you in this, in, into making mistakes. But beyond that, I really feel good about uh, the Pelicans ability to, to, you know, hopefully stay out of foul trouble here. Uh, and so I think that's, that's going to be critical uh, as we, as we get into the series. Completely agree with you, Mason. I'm going to end it on this note. This is from, uh, this is from Andrew over at uh, Sports Drink. He was just tweeting this. I thought it was a really good tweet. Um, you know, it's, it costs $150 right now to buy a ticket for game three to, mm-hmm. to, New Orleans, uh, to the New Orleans Pelicans postseason game right here. And, and if you compare it to other game threes across the league, uh, game three um, for, the, for the Warriors, this is in, in Denver, I believe $87, right? Game three um, for the Mavs Jazz, $59. Game three for the Heat. The Heat. Um, I mean, they're playing in Atlanta, but the Heat. <laughs> the play in crowd in Atlanta was so bad, by the way. But, oh but no, God. this is a great Dude, point. They, they, were pumping in, they were pumping in crowd music at, in, the, in the footprint arena in Phoenix. Like Joel and Eddie were commenting about that. I mean, it was, it's crazy. It, like I heard them trying to chant. I heard their PA speaker chanting defense and like they painted the crowd and like the, the crowd was like white, like they had seen a ghost. It was just like, they're pale and like, they're not saying anything. And then the meanwhile, it's the PA uh, or the arena PA speaker, like defense, defense. And it's like, okay, yeah, these, this, this crowd clearly is not, he's not lit. Um, yeah. The, the Bucks game is, is the most expensive one, which is one thirty eight. So um Shout out New Orleans, and uh, this is going to be this is going to be great. And I guess you're telling me there's been no injury, there's no changes to the injury report. So um, just as we expected, no news on Zion Williamson. <laughs> Didn't mean to end that on sour note because that's a great point. I was actually starting to research some of those ticket prices yesterday. I, um, so I was wondering because I looked at all the different sources of uh, uh, on the secondary market to see what the price were the Pelicans, and I started perusing a little bit of some of the other games and, and looked at Minnesota and, and I saw that was comparable. But that's, I mean, I, I think that's a great um, it's a great point. If this team wins, people will show up and people will get excited, and it's going to be a, a hell of an atmosphere this weekend. And I can't can't wait to watch it. Wish I could be there. Yes, sir. See y'all at Game 3. everyone my name is colin kelly and i have one question for you do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021 then be sure to check out rotoviz overtime and all the other rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on blue wire we've got you covered for all things fantasy football subscribe to rotoviz overtime today